This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. The Michigan Climate Action Network, or MICAN, connects and amplifies individuals, communities, and organizations confronting the climate crisis in Michigan. Uniting a network of over 70 organizations and 30,000 individuals, MICAN partners with coalitions and campaigns working for climate solutions and justice. They host the annual Michigan Climate Action Summit, the first and largest statewide public gathering focused on climate action. From conferences to rallies and marches, they facilitate dozens of events each year and support organizations in advancing equitable climate solutions with the urgency science demands. In this inspiring interview, Seth Bernard sits down with MICAN Executive Director Kate Madigan and Engagement Director Jamie Simmons. The three provide an in-depth look into MICAN's vital work, they discuss bringing equity to the forefront of this movement, and they share how they keep themselves charged and renewed as they forge ahead with the work of activism. Here to introduce Kate and Jamie is Seth Bernard. Well, Jamie, Kate, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Title Track has been so grateful to partner with MICAN and also um, just personally, I feel like a big fan of your work here in Michigan and a cheerleader for the organization and all the great work that you do. Kate, this has been five or six years that you've been working with MICAN. Since 2015. And I want to say likewise, I'm a huge fan of, of Title Track and all of your work and all of your music as well. Absolutely for the music and the work. Oh, thank you so much. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with Michigan Climate Action Network, could each of you kind of give a elevator pitch, maybe like a little collab elevator pitch uh, about what your work is? Yeah, absolutely. So the Michigan Climate Action Network, we were founded in 2015, and we have been working since that time to build a more powerful climate movement to elevate climate and justice to be the priority in our state. 
and to advance solutions that are centered around equity and move with the urgency that science demands. And so some of the things that you, your listeners might be familiar with, um, we hold the Michigan Climate Action Summit. We have built a network of 76 organizations and we have about 30,000 individuals. We've intentionally built a social media platform so we can reach like a million people every year with our message. And we are moving forward um, policies, um, helping to move forward policies at the local level, the state level, mostly at the state level and the local level, but also at the federal level when there are opportunities. Absolutely. And to add a little bit more on to specifically a lot of things that I do within my can is definitely working um, as a part of the movement in Michigan by our coalition work with our uh, community partners and climate and environmental justice partners, uh, helping to educate ourselves in the movement around the different aspects and intersections um, within climate, as well as really rallying around the, the hotter topics or the more uh, pushing things forward that's happening in Michigan, like the Build Back Better. We're actually a part of and helped uh, establish the Michigan Build Back Better Coalition, where we've been doing several federal rallies uh, across Michigan, asking our reps to kind of hold the line and fight for Build Back Better, and, and especially the climate provisions with, within that particular package and the rest of the justice work across Michigan that also intersects with climate. Mm. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. So Jamie, you know, you have a background in helping organizations center equity. And, and I'm curious to hear from you how you feel like the climate movement in Michigan is doing with this. Like, what are some ways that this is working well and what are some ways that we could be doing better? Well, I, I feel like that's an ongoing conversation with the, within this movement as we're all trying to find our spheres within this work. I am a social worker and that is a definite um, framework that I carry across uh, within this work. Um, and in the past, I've helped uh, a lot of organizations and higher educational institutions kind of think about how they're working internally to center equity and externally, because it is those that two probe approach. While you're tapping in and trying to uplift BIPOC voices and the unheard uh, voices and the climate impacts that you might not be familiar with, you also have to have those internal voices represented within your organization, which I would say, I, I haven't been in this movement for long, but in, in the time that I have been, I've seen a lot of folks brought into the conversation that historically has not been a part. As we all are familiar with, the climate movement in the United States and really Michigan has been predominantly white for a very, very long time. And I do think through the justice movement, there has been a centering and upliftment of black and brown voices and a more folks paying attention to and trying to expand the narrative of impact, climate impact in Michigan. I know when we think of climate and environmental justice, a lot of folks kind of push and think of rural, automatically rural, automatically agricultural, and kind of forgot have historically forgotten about the urban inner cities who also face some of the, the harsh, harshest impacts of climate and are the first to feel that. If we look at Detroit alone this summer, they were having 500-year storms every other week uh, alongside other power complications that were tied into climate impacts and our failing infrastructure. So I will say over in the movement as a whole, I have seen a lot of improvement, but there is still more that we can do. There's still so many voices that are being left behind 
behind and can be kind of pushed forward more. And as we all are advocating and educating ourselves about what equity is and what justice is and how that truly intersects in an authentic way in this movement, I think that we all have a more prosperous future. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And so you hit on some things that we talked about last week in the podcast with Amber Hassan, how, um, you know, you think of the environmental movement as this historically white movement, and yet black and brown communities are disproportionately harmed on the front lines of the harm. That's true for climate and it's true for water. And so the State of Water podcast is really working on you know, connecting the dots, um, I'm happy to see that the clean water movement in Michigan has become more of a justice-centered movement, and the same with climate. But I'm wondering, Kate, if you could talk a little bit, sort of connecting the dots between climate change and clean water and how, you know, MICAN's work toward a rapid and just transition to a clean energy economy um, will support what Michiganders really want, which is clean water. Yeah, absolutely. So climate change and water and clean water and water quality and you know, everything from our Great Lakes, climate change and water are so intricately connected. I mean, if you just think about what climate change is, the warming of our atmosphere is warming our waters and our air. Warmer air can hold more water. And so it's really affecting our entire hydrological system. So um, warmer water holds more air. That means we're getting more rainstorms. And as Jamie talked about what we're, we're seeing in Detroit this summer, what we saw in Midland with the, um, the dam breaking last summer. And I think all of your listeners in every community, we have experienced really intense downpours and probably flooding. We're seeing flooding in a lot of areas because warmer air holds more water. So the storms are carrying more water. We're also seeing hurricanes in other parts of the country and the world. And then more rainfall means more runoff into our waterways, which is causing an increase in algae blooms. It's causing more pollution into our lakes, inland lakes and the Great Lakes. And then, you know, the storms, the flooding that we saw in Detroit and other places, a lot of our infrastructure can't handle that. And so we're seeing sewage overflows and raw sewage that is really causing um, health concerns and health impacts as well. So those are some of the some of the ways that I mean there are so many ways in which water is impacted in other parts of the country where we're seeing droughts it's tied to the same principles that the warmer air kind of supercharges evaporation and it dries out our soils and so they're more prone to drought which is causing um you know lack of access to water in more and more places and it's a big concern going forward and then we're also seeing you know wildfires and forest fires, which are devastating, especially on, on the West Coast and in other, in other parts of the country in the world, like Australia, that we've saw in recent years. So those are some of the ways that climate change and, and water in Michigan are two of the most important issues, and they really are connected. And I think the intersections of these issues and of the work for justice are just so critical. It's really um, so important how a lot of this work is is now coming together. It was so siloed for so long. Um, we were all like kind of working in our silos. And um, not only is by centering justice and equity in the climate work and the climate movement, are we able to 
address both crises, but we're also more powerful when we're all working together for all of these issues that are so connected and that we care about and that we share values around. Yes, absolutely. So big international news coming out as the COP26 summit has been happening. Jamie, you were a part of some events yesterday. There was a online panel discussion and, and you were at Senator Peter's office. I'm wondering if you could catch us up on what's been happening. <laughs> There's honestly been so much, <laughs> so much. So I'll try to try to work through it and hopefully yeah. it's in the right order. And if anyone knows the specific order, forgive me if I, 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 trip on some dates. But um, the work that we've been doing with the Build Back Better Coalition and a lot of other organizations across um, Michigan initially kicked off with a, a Slotkins rally and, and Lansing, where we were, of course, knowing Rashida Tlaib and the rest of the pro progressives were, was all in for Build Back Better and was all in for advocating for the things that we need as a nation, we as Michiganders need, we as me as a person, um, a black person, a minority person, something that my community need, is in dire need for. So all of us kind of came together um, at Slotkin's office and was talking with our reps and um, kind of uplifting the voice of the younger generations and the generations and the folks in Michigan that want and believe in climate and want climate justice. And that kind of flourished into this amazing kind of series of, hey, not only are we gonna talk in general to our to our reps and senators, we're gonna start engaging with them. So we, uh, over the last more recent weeks, we had a rally with Rep Levin and Warren. And sadly he he had a, he couldn't attend, but his wife showed up for him. And he had he released some statements in support of our coalition and our work and the Build Back Better. And we really had a chance to hear from not just climate organizers and climate organizations, environmental justice organizations, but it really was an intersecting movement where we had Mother Injustice and Detroit Action and justice organizations across the state standing in solidarity with each other saying that not one part of this is important. All of this together is what we need for a healthy and thriving future. And we continued that conversation in Detroit with Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib, where she dug even deeper into why this is not a us versus them situation. This is a, will we have an earth to live in in past 2050? Will we have water? Will we have clean air? Will we have livable land? In the more recent years, will we have health care? Will we have water that's not um, infected with lead and poisoning our communities like what's happening in Flint, what's happening in Benton Harbor, and as well as what's happening in Hamtramck and communities all over Michigan that just haven't reported or haven't found out yet. Mm. And that was great. And kind of yesterday, we continued that conversation as we hear about the reluctance um, of supporting Build Back Better now that uh, Biff has passed. We know Slotkins is kind of on the fence with whether or not she's going to um, support Build Back Better. Um, and we know that the the prices and the gas prices that's going up and insane right now is affecting whether or not a lot of more moderate uh, Democrats are going to vote for Build Back Better. So right now, we really feel like in the, in the over the next few days, this is the time we really need to voice the fact that we are we need a clean energy future. We need a 100% clean energy future. We need to meet that 50% carbon reduction by 2030 and that net zero by 2050 in order to live. 
for folks who want to visit uh, MI Climate Action Network, you can actually look at our COP26 conversation with Michigan Sierra Club and Michigan LCV, where we actually talk about the conversations that they're having having at COP26 and saying, hey, this conference isn't just something where we need to check in five years to see how much carbon we've reduced within our nations. This is something that we need to be having yearly, and these are ongoing conversations. I know our nation as a whole did not sign on to getting rid of uh, coal and stepping away from fossil fuels in a formal way. The uh, United States did sign with China to, to work on our carbon emissions alongside China and with the, the rest of the world, uh, but we did not make any formal promises, and we need to, not just to our international partners, but to our own selves. Like, we have no choice other than a clean and healthier future. Every day that we're attached to fossil fuels is a close day closer to death for all of us, for our entire ecosystem. So uh, yesterday when we had our final uh, Fed Action rally with Rep Tlaib, uh, Rep Brenda Lawrence, um, and some more uh, folks from Detroit and some justice organizations across Michigan. It, it was that that last utter cry. Well, not last, because we will continuously use social media and our voices and platforms to fight for this bill, but to really hone in as a, as a whole in Michigan saying that this is what we need. And for us within Michigan, for MICAN, we're a network where we're kind of enhancing and uplifting the voices of the of organizations across Michigan who might have different perspectives of what the solutions are, but at least we are trying to find solutions. And that is really the key to all of us having a great future. Mm, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's powerful work and it's also like urgent work and it can feel overwhelming, especially to folks who are just sort of starting to take baby steps into the movement. I, I know that when I you know, work with young people or people really of any age who are just starting to take steps toward activism. One thing that that can be hard for them to deal with is is the sense of overwhelm and like, well, what's the best use of my talents? And, you know, what's the most powerful action I can take? And I wanted to ask both of you, you know, we're swimming in these problems. We're swimming in systemic racism. It affects all of us. Climate change is a problem that affects every part of our lives. Those of us who are doing the proactive work of putting the microscope on ourselves and our own organizations find so much that we can do to improve things, but that that can be overwhelming too. How do you balance the overwhelm? What do you do to keep your nervous systems regulated and, and to keep yourselves happy and, and inspired to keep working? Mm. That's a great question. And um, I want to tie it back to the Build Back Better Act for a second, because that's one of the things we found is we, as climate activists, have been doing this for a long time. This opportunity at the federal level to pass really significant investments in climate solutions is so rare. The last time this was, you know, in 2009, there was the, was the last time that there was conversations even about a major climate policy. So we are so, um, we see this as such a big opportunity that we're like, we need to do everything we can. Even the Build Back Better Act that Jamie was talking about where it's at right now would be enough to really inject so much into building out clean energy in a way that um, would allow us to be, our country to be on track to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. And with the Justice 40 initiative, it would invest, you know, 40% of the benefits will go to disadvantaged communities. So we get so excited about this. Like we have to do everything we can. We felt it from 
our list from our, a lot of our supporters that were like, this is Congress is like, whoa, this is intense. This is a lot. And so I just see that as a, I, it's real. It's very real on an individual level. And as a movement, like we're all doing different things. We're all into different things. We're all wanting to be engaged in different ways. And we all have different talents and skills. And so I think that is one of the core things is like, find what you love, where your skill set is, where your passions are. If you're an artist and you can contribute your art in a way that helps the movement. We have a photographer in West Michigan who asked if he could be supportive and we were like, great. Yes. Then he came to one of the rallies that Jamie was at and took some great pictures for us. So I think whatever it is that you're able to contribute, focus on what you love to do and where your passions are and, and find ways in there that way. And I think also the way that I stay charged and replenished and you know keep doing this work for so long is really the people that I get to work with. Yeah, I love yeah. the the people in this movement and um, working alongside them. It's been challenging over the past two years because we're seeing each other over Zoom and that's it's not the same. But yeah, the people that I get to work with and that's expanding and the new people coming into the movement, it's really energizing. It keeps it fun and keeps the human element there as well. Yeah. Thank you, Kate. I really feel that too. You meet the most wonderful, caring people, people who have figured out how to carry the weight of the world, um, how to share the weight of the world with other people um, and stay vibrant and stay effective um, and yes. stay curious. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jamie? What comes up for you with that question? Well, <laughs> a lot of the same things that Kate shared. Um, I, I think it's very important to always be aware that we're all experiencing so many different fires right now. Of course, we have this overwhelming feeling of, oh my gosh, I can physically see climate change happening right now. I, I, I see the warmer days. I see the crazy storms and weathers that that's happening. I see the flooding on top of we're still experiencing COVID. Um, and we're in our second second year of COVID as well. So a lot of people are experiencing a lot of loss, a lot of dis disappointment from experiences or opportunities. So it is those intersections of kind of grieving um, that's going on for a lot of people um, within our communities, um, especially some of the most vulnerable communities. Within this movement, I, I definitely echo Kate. Uh, the, the best way to kind of fight that burnout and still be who you are and be passionate is to stay true to who you are and stay true to your passions, what you're interested in. There's always a realm for you in the work that actually came up while we were doing, um, my kin was a part of a, a panel presentation to Grand Valley State University where we actually had our intern Grace come and do a presentation on her work and our work as uh, a network for, for the students there. And um, it was great to have Grace kind of show the work that she was doing and how it was so important as a, a person studying climate and studying different um, intersections um, within this work and being able to present that to her student, her, her peers and her, her own community saying, mm -hmm. hey, I found my, my realm here, my road here. And there's so many different roads. 
what makes the climate work so impactful is the intersections with justice and liberation as well. So as you carry those different frameworks, that just empowers the movement even further. So uh, I know folks who come from urban areas or rural areas or somewhere in between might see it as different, different impacts or different voices, but it's all one experience and movement. So it's definitely a, a, a place for everyone. And personally, I would have to say what's so important about this conversation around water is to drink water. <laughs> That's what we need. Yes. to stay hydrated. I personally am almost finishing my water. <laughs> so that's definitely something I try to do is stay hydrated and also make sure that you're you're not overwhelming yourself um, and you, you are being very uh, paying close attention to who, how you are as a person. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it? Self-care is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. Absolutely. And we're not doing the movement any favors if we're headed toward burning ourselves out. But really also, like what you said, is, is we're modeling for younger people, you know, and they are for us. I mean, I, I get so inspired by the young people that I work with, but also the way that we're engaging with each other and the way that we're handling ourselves through it. It's a way of modeling what it means to be an activist to the people who are watching. And I wanted to ask both of you if you could share a little insight about how you entered into this work. You know, was was there a mentor? Was there like a, an experience, maybe some kind of a peak experience that gave you a sense of what your future could be like or the type of impact work that you would want to do? Hmm. I've been doing this work for a really long time and I don't even remember. I think I was born with the, <laughs> the like innate desire to work on social change. I have had the good fortune of working with so many great mentors. I just got back in touch with Lana Pollock, who was the director of Michigan Environmental Council when I worked there a long time ago. So I've been doing environmental work for a while. And the really kind of the, the point where I realized that I wanted to focus on climate and justice with all of my time was um, when I had children. And I was always, I was already concerned about climate change, but when my children were born, I realized the future became so tangible and I, you know, all of the studies and all of the numbers that I was seeing and all of the, you know, I could put that into their life. Okay. By that, that's when they're going to be 30 years old. That's really tangible. Um, and so I kind of dropped everything and figured out how to, how to do this work on, on climate and justice. Hmm. Thank you, Kate. How about you, Jamie? Well, for me, I have a, a not so <laughs> linear path to where we are. So I have a bachelor's in criminal justice where I kind of dove into understanding systems and those inter intersection impacts of different systems on underserved and um, communities. And then I went and transitioned into uh social work and actually obtaining my MSW from University of Michigan, where I was actually working for the university's engaged program and having intersecting conversations around justice and water, justice and climate, justice and disabilities, uh, just justice and police. Um, I'm a very, I'm a macro social worker. So I'm always thinking about systems and the overall human impacts. And the more conversations we kept having, the more folks kind of start mentioning climate and climate justice. There was actually a student within the PhD program that was a part of one of our conversations within the engaged team um, that was actually sharing a lot of his work 
thinking about social work and the intersection with uh, climate and environmental justice. And also I had a great opportunity of having a conversation with Monica Lewis Patrick and some other organizers uh, across Michigan, where it just seemed that for all of us to have a future, we had to pay attention to what was going on with climate and environmental justice. And the more conversations that I had, I, I kind of got pulled into kind of being interested in this work and seeing the value in this work and how it was so important besides my justice and liberation work that I, I'm constantly still doing. And I see this as a part of that work, not a, a separate extension. Um, so uh, through those conversations, I just kind of like, hey, let me just see what's out here and how I can fit. And I luckily found this position and found this or great organization to be a part of where I can show up with my crazy background <laughs> that might not align with a lot of folks within these spaces, but where I share, have a perspective that's worthwhile. And I come from a community, a community that is not heard enough. So I, I, I'm great. Uh, I feel great to be a, be a voice and a perspective in this space to help push all of our, our work and experiences forward. Mm, awesome. It's cool. It's, it kind of touches on something that you said earlier, Kate, where it's like, we need folks to use their tools and their their wheelhouse and their passion with this movement and truly you know the the movement for equity and the movement for climate are both systemic problems that are pervasive in our society and so we need people to shine light on these things through the lens of of their sector or their institution or their field of influence and so there it's kind of like reciprocal in both ways with um with justice and climate and so I've, I've found too that like the need for climate resilience and planning for communities is becoming more mainstream than ever before. And the, the reality of racism as something that's systemic is becoming more and more undeniable to people who've had their head in the sand for a long time. It's becoming more mainstream. And so we have the opportunity to really do some some powerful strategic planning for our communities and also, you know, the short term of harm reduction and the long term of systems change. Hopefully systems change won't be too long term because we need it now. Like you said, Jamie, we needed it years ago. But um, one thing for me that comes up with with all of this movement building, of course, I'm a musician. So I think about music and I think about events to bring people together. And I've had the great honor of, of being a part of the climate summit that you spoke of uh, at the beginning of, of the podcast, Kate, both in person and virtually last year, which was great yes. and um, really appreciated the way that the summit was so justice centered this year and and so many of the powerful voices that were uh centered to me had a really potent influence on the movement that was really positive so what is it like for you all to think about designing this event because it's like it's big it's the biggest summit that we have for our listeners who aren't familiar this is like the type of thing that you know, the governor and our senators would be at it. It is kind of the biggest annual event for climate, the biggest summit for climate. So how do you balance that, the urgency of it with how much people need to connect with each other and, and kind of get lured in with a sense of fun and like arts and culture? What's the recipe there? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think it really has to do with knowing what's going on in the movement, knowing the conversations that are they're yeah. happening and the people to plug into and working with our partners uh, to kind of envision what the summit 
is and has been and how it will be in the future. Um, I also think it's really about uh, making sure you have a diversity of thought and ideology and solution. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, there's not a clear path of how we're going to solve this problem. So we're going to have to try a lot of different things and we're going to have to try to have conversations around a different, a lot of different um, solutions and practices and policies that we can get to the goals that we need to reach. So having that diversity of thought um, and opportunity for folks to kind of challenge themselves and be challenged by others to, to grow the movement and while also giving folks an awesome, um, amazing a uh, place to kind of learn and connect and kind of expand. I know in our summit this year, it was a lot of kind of starter up grassroots that were in attendance that was able to connect with a lot of more uh, seasoned uh, people within the movement and yeah. kind of get a, a framework of how to do this work in a way that works for their community. So it, it's really great for the summit and that and that kind of framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that really you really summed it up well, Jamie. I think with us starting point is where do we need to, in what direction do we really need to push the movement at this moment? And the first summit, Governor Whitmer was just starting up. It was February, right after she, she took office in January. And so really our focus was making sure that she knew that there was a lot of support for bold climate action. And also it is really important to center equity and center diver and feature diverse perspectives and diverse speakers because we are really working to transform this movement to be more centered around equity and have more voices and not just be white led. And um, and so that's that was a big focus on that. It really in you know enriched everything that we did. And I also think we talk a lot about the problem with climate change is kind of the nature of our work, like climate change is here. But also I think what we need to do in all of our work is really focus on the vision of what we're trying to build and the positive things and, and the progress that we've made and the solutions, because that is really another Another thing that keeps us all doing this work and feeling good about it is are all of the communities that have set, you know, 100% renewable energy goals and now carbon neutrality goals and that our state has set a carbon neutrality goal. And also just really thinking about our how our state really can be powered by clean renewable energy, how we can create, we can like eliminate pollution from fossil fuels and all of the health problems that come with that, how we can create thousands of good paying jobs and we can be strategic about where we're building those jobs. So we're, we're investing in communities that have been underinvested in for so long. It's just, we have this huge opportunity. Someone said this to me and it stuck that we're going to transition off of fossil fuels. Solar is now cheaper than fossil fuels and wind is getting there. Energy efficiency is cheaper. The question is, are we going to do it fast enough? And are we going to do it in a way where we're transforming our society to be a more just and equitable society? And we have this opportunity right now to do that. And we have to make sure that we are, we're doing that. Absolutely. Well, you're doing it and we uh, appreciate your leadership and your partnership. And, and I love how MyCan is, is dedicated to uplifting other voices and organizations throughout the state as well. You're, you're a great team player. 
And speaking of which, we're going to share this podcast on your podcast platform too, right? Yes, I think yeah. we I think we should. Okay, absolutely. Great. We'll finish the interview with some questions that might not be typical questions on on your podcast for so so your listeners can learn a little bit more about the two of you. So I, I like to talk about music at the end of each podcast. So I, I want to ask you both two questions. The first is, what was your first concert? <laughs> and just like who and describe the experience. And then the second one is, if you could see any artist of all time live, who would you choose? So first things first, first concert. My first concert was the Bengals. Ooh, and my mom took me and my sisters and we got to take some girlfriends and it was very fun. It was at the Pine Knob. I don't know what I think it's actually called DTE Theater. Yeah. Now <laughs> ironically. I love Pine Knob too. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Jamie? Oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say the tickets were really cheap. <laughs> And I just wanted an experience because I I had my first concert older. So <laughs> I went to go see the Chainsmokers Memory Don't Open. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and it was great. I wasn't really familiar with their music, but they had came to Detroit and their tickets were cheap and they had a they have an amazing drummer. I do value their drummer. So <laughs> I went and I don't regret it, but I know a lot of people are gonna be like, oh my god, why? <laughs> Cool. Hey, awesome. All right. So you can pick any artist of all time. Who do you pick to see live? It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Jamie, you go first. That is probably the hardest question I've ever been asked. (laughs) But I will go with a typical but very true answer. Uh, I would love to see a Michael Jackson concert because he made people just faint. Oh, my God like <laughs> just faint for from walking in so i would love to go back and like be able to experience one of his concerts yeah oh my gosh jamie i went to a michael jackson concert ah! and it was phenomenal <laughs> yeah and yeah it was something else so well, i was actually thinking like madonna also seems like that kind of an experience and i never did go see madonna And so that would be a fun concert. But I also have to say that one of the last in-person events that I attended before COVID was your concert, Seth, with Jordan Hamilton at Kelly and Jim Lively's house in their living room. That was such a beautiful event that I might just do that again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was great. It was great to see you and Ross. And I love those intimate shows those yeah. uh, living room shows. What Michael Jackson tour did you catch him on? Do you remember? I think it was, it might have, it was bad. I think. Wow. It was bad. Yeah. Wow. Classic. That's so good. <laughs> I was a baby, you know, <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> Amazing. I wasn't really a baby. So your social media presence is really great. Uh, shout out to, is it Emmy that runs the social media? Emmy. Yeah. Yeah, great, great work and, and a, an important follow for our listeners, um, you know, to keep up with what's going on. I just before the interview caught the Good News Friday post today, which was great. 
and, and, you know, going to your website and following, um, signing up for the newsletter, highly recommended anything, um, in the near future that you want to let our listeners know about. Just go to our website. You can go to miclimateaction.org slash join, and you can sign up for our newsletter and then we'll keep you up to speed on any ways you can take action. Um, as Jamie mentioned, the build back better act is what I mentioned too. Um, it's there's, this is a really key time. And so I'm going to give you the number for the congressional switchboard and you can call and get patched into both of your senators and then your representative. And if you want to call a different uh, member of Congress, you can call them too. The number is 202-224-3121. And then we're also doing some really exciting work on line five to, um, fight the oil tunnel where we're partnering with the environmental law and policy center to intervene in the, in the oil tunnel case and, and elevate the, the climate impacts that a tunnel would have. Stay tuned for more on that, but yeah, you can support our work. Oh, you can donate on our website too. And, and join us as a member. Kate, Jamie, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your great work. Yes. Thank you for having us, Seth. Thank you, Seth. And hey, I want to hear your answer. What concert would you go see if you could see any concert of all time? Way to way to flip it back on me. <laughs> I deserve it. I appreciate. I bet it. you have a good answer. Yeah. Well, you know, I try to I try to take these things as like, how do I feel today? Like maybe maybe today is a Jimi Hendrix day. Mm. A lot of days would be a Jimi Hendrix day. I think. That's but, yeah. yeah. I could use a little Jimi Hendrix injection of that electric energy today. Yeah, that would be a good one. It would. Yeah. Amazing. My first big show was Joan Baez. My parents took me to go see Joan Baez. That was the first time I remember being at a large concert that was like one artist with like a few thousand people there. But I grew up going to music festivals. So that atmosphere is very familiar to me. And I, I don't I don't know if I can remember the very, very first concert. But yeah, really, uh, really appreciate, you know, the the partnership that we've cultivated and, and look forward to supporting in any way that I can and and maybe maybe being on your podcast someday too. Let's set it up. We would love right. that. Great. All right. Well, have a have a great rest of your day and, and keep up the good work. You too. You too, Seth. Thank you. Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues. This campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission 
engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. <laughs>